Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to live my life, putting purpose over profit. Too many fallen soldiers, too many slain prophets. Eyes on the prize, yeah, I gotta watch it. Agents amongst us, get your hand out my pocket. I'm sick with the pet. Brothers and sisters are sick in the pet. Oppressed by the man, attacked by the clan. America's plan, depression sets in. People becoming so hopeless. Said we can't breathe, they still choke us. They put the body cam on, it's either turn off or out of focus. Yeah, another death, another life. They pull the trigger, no thinking twice. Cops be wildin', the killing youth. The new Jim Crow, a different noose. It's the beast, it's the beast, mark of the beast. Cease and desist, increase the peace. Move in silence, don't make a sound. But when they come, stand your ground. R.I.P. to all the martyrs. Say your prayer, Heavenly Father. Black lives matter, black lives matter. Welcome everyone back to another live episode of the Creative Gore. We got a good one, Professor Israel. How you doing, sir? Uh, I don't know if it's too soon for me to say I'm chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool. <laughs> With a b-ball outside of school, okay. I'm good, brother. I'm good. How are you? Everything's great. And we actually have an interesting sponsor today. Uh, one from the Web Prep academy which is chloe kiana webb's business you know and you know brainchild which is fantastic and she came up with a few words to describe what she does and i'm gonna overlay with the website as we go along At Web Prep Academy, we know that you want to be an expert at homeschooling your scholars. In order to do that, you need to know exactly what you're doing. The problem is homeschooling can be very confusing, which makes you feel stressed and sometimes even overwhelmed. We believe that homeschooling should be easy and completely customizable to your family's goals and needs. We understand that you may be getting pushback from others around you about your decision to homeschool, which is why we have your back. We believe in you and in your decision, and we know that you can do this. It's time to feel confident in your decision to homeschool. With our homeschool coaching program, we will help you gain the tools you need to be a homeschool expert and get the results you desire for your family. Here's how we do it. First, we design a program based on your family's lifestyle, goals, and budget. Then we'll walk you through each step of the program. The best part is that it only takes around 15 minutes a day. We provide continuous support throughout your homeschool journey to tackle the different obstacles that may arise. So sign up now for your personalized program today. And in the meantime, feel confident in your decision to homeschool your scholar, starting with following our easy step-by-step -step program. So you can stop worrying and instead get to the good stuff.
by providing your scholar with the education they deserve. And there we go. That's wonderful. Just a couple of, um, I guess, things to throw out there quickly because, you know, I'm an edupreneur. True. Um, and just thinking about this business model, one is phenomenal. I would say to think about scaling it and scaling it to the point where um, providing that homeschool piece. But let's just think about if homeschooling later on starts to wean or wane off in a little bit. Um, how can you position yourself to help transition folks from homeschooling back to traditional schooling and then also be a support for the schools to welcome homeschool students into their community? Just to scale that out, to build that on the back end. So you're, you know, you could you the you the plug all around. The innovative educator, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that's that's what's up. We're yes, sir. Yes, sir. Let's build, let's build. Okay. Building block number one. The uh the fallout from the Oscars, right? The Academy Awards, Chris Rock was being Chris Rock, being an entertainer, being a comedian. Right now, for those who may not be aware of the candor of the Academy Awards, it's similar to a roast, if you will, because this is when you get Hollywood's elite, like top of the top, A-list, everyone. Right. So the job of the hosts, typically one of the you know top comedians out there is to, you know, roast, uh, roast the uh, A-list celebs and, you know, the all the actors who are like all the way up there in society, but bring them, bring them down to earth, if you will. Right. So people like Ricky Gervais who wrote the office, you know, he, he had to go at Hollywood as well. So it's kind of like, it's, it's part of the tradition kind of like, in you know, RIP David Stern, when David Stern would come out to the NBA draft and everyone would boom, it's kind of like, you, you know, you, you expect it to, to happen. So as we understand, he had a joke about, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith's hairstyle, G.I. Jane, too. And it was, a you know, like a a bit about a, a fictitious movie, right? Because of her hairstyle. And then uh, apparently Will was laughing at first in it. Something like maybe he and Jada had a conversation or she had a look, perhaps triggered him. And then he went up on stage and slapped. So based upon that, Mikhail Israel, what do you think? Well, a few things, a few things. Um, I want to take my time with this for a number of different reasons. Um, been watching a lot of coverage. Um, some coverage is framed in the positive. Other coverage is framed in the negative. Um, some coverage tries to be balanced. Other coverage tries to be whatever it wants to be. And more on that in a little bit. Um, mm. But when it happened, I didn't watch the Oscars, uh, but I was, you know, winding down. Um, having like my little bedtime routine, usually I get in bed and, you know, before you put the phone down, put the phone away, scrolling through the gram or I'm catching up on some news stories, just, you know, as an educator in particular, if there's anything that happens in that 11th hour, so to speak, I want to be mindful of it because it might show up in my classroom, it might show up in my community. And I want to be prepared at least to be able to talk about it or at least understand what's happening. Uh, so I can have an informed conversation and speak from some type of a place of authority, uh, and in that moment, I saw the whole situation of, okay, hold up. Will Smith slapped Chris Rock at the Oscars? And you know me. 
I don't just take things at face value and say, you know, that's exactly what happened. I wanted to make sure that, you know, in this internet culture where, you know, there's a lot of misinformation, there's a number of different celebrities who've died several thousand times, right? Um, there's so much misreports and misinformation, so it's hard. So you have to go to a number of different sources. I went to some sources that I trusted, um, folks who are in the know, folks who are investigative reporters or journalists or go to some authentic um, news sites. And I saw that it was true. And to tell you the truth, honestly, my spirit was unnerved for for a number of different reasons. It was it was hard for me to fall asleep. It was hard for me to fall asleep because I was one trying to figure out whether or not it happened. Then I found out it was true, and then for whatever reason, maybe because I'm a black man, um, I just I it didn't sit well with me, and I wanted to know why. So just to channel the the ancestors for a second, and I know this this quote from James Baldwin is often picked apart and sometimes is missed. Uh, misrepresented or, you know, it might be an excerpt that removes a few words because that's what happens when people quote folks um, for their own agendas or whatever the case may be. But I think this one is the most accurate piece when James Baldwin was talking about being black in America or speaking to that condition back in the times. And, you know, a piece of that excerpt from that entire quote was to be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a state of rage almost, almost all of the time. And in one's work, and part of that rage is this. It isn't only what is happening to you, but it's what's happening all around you and all of the time in the face of the most extraordinary and criminal indifference, indifference of most white people in this country and their ignorance. I remember that when I was in a class, I was taking a class in undergrad, and I believe it was um, it was about Black families. And it was talking about the um, the structure of Black families or family structure, and then also how there's been a decline in fa families, Black families. Um, absentee fathers, uh, you know, absent fathers, so lots of absenteeism, um, you know, matriarchs raising the family, et cetera. A number of different reasons that goes into that prison industrial complex, a number of different things, right? Uh, but we're having a conversation about the black family. And one of the things that I brought up was Bill Cosby's infamous um, pound cake speech, where he's talking about respectability politics, pull up your pants, et cetera, all these other things, right? Um, I said that I think folks had an issue with that, not only because it's talking about respectability politics and it's really incorporating the white gaze, if you will, um, but it's also about having a conversation or acting or behaving in front of mixed company. And I think that's what really unnerved me. And there will be many who say, what happened on that stage is not a representation of us as a people, and that's true. And it's also to whomever wants to make it a representation of who they think we are or want us to be. Right. So we have to deal with both at the same time as both and thinking or my reality might not be your reality, but your reality is still real. Whether it's perceived, someone might say, your reality is still real. So therefore, yes, we can say we are not that and we should not be defined by that. And yet we still are. That's the unfortunate reality of being Black in America in a lot of different spaces. I think everything else is connected to that, what we're talking about today. Moving forward from that, about the white gaze, right? G-A-Z-E, the lens through which we look at things. We talk about hegemonic culture, which means dominant culture in this dominant society. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of things in terms of, I was thinking about Jay-Z's quote from his song on 444. Nobody wins when the family feuds. Mm. And I feel that 100%. And then I thought about it. I was like, maybe white supremacy does, though. So nobody wins when the family feuds. But maybe those folks who want to use this as an opportunity 
to further divide, conquer, um, to knock some folks off their peg, so to speak, mm. um, to come at someone's pockets, folks who actually have money in the community who might be able to be doing great good for us. There's a lot of things that we need to be mindful and cognizant of. So I always talk about POV and POE, point of view and point of entry. This moment, the slap, was a point of entry for everybody and their mama to insert their point of view. Yes. So you have the slap, which everyone is using as a way to talk about whatever they want to talk about. It might be about relationships. It might be about the black community. It might be about why black folks should have never been at the Oscars. It might be about why hashtag Oscars so white wasn't even really a thing because guess what? Maybe it should be so white because look, they can't act right, correctly, all, all these things. Not to mention when it's a full production team of, of black folks and a number of different historic nominations and wins on that night that get overshadowed by this moment. Um, so culturally, we can argue whether or not it's a, it's a stain culturally. I don't like to use that term, but let's have that conversation about what it means for the culture and what can we learn from this moment. Um, so for me, and I'll end there and we can continue the conversation. But for me, it reminds me of the whole notion of collective consciousness, right? How we all mm. feel connected in one way, shape, or form. Also reminds me of what I was trying to get at earlier about out, outgroup homogeneity. So outgroup homogeneity is when members of a group, a specific group, so let's say black folks, members of a specific group see themselves as being diverse, not a monolith, differ from one another. But members outside of that group, the outgroup, see them as all being the same. Stereotypes, right? All those pieces that that play into that, right? The stereotypes, the prejudice, the discrimination that comes from it, all those things. Um, so we're always cognizant of the white gaze, right? Always, always cognizant of it. It's always there. What we do with it, how we treat it, how we use it, how we respond to it, how we manipulate it, that's up to us. But it's always there for whatever reason, right? Um, and then lastly, I think about the voice and his his double consciousness, right? Um, now that that happened between us. And we're starting to see the response that the Academy or other folks might take on will. The black person, once again, was the precedent. White folks have done similar things, if not more egregious things that deserve them um, to be reprimanded and have their, they deserve to have rewards removed from them. But now here's another example of a black person being used as the precedent, being used as um, the poster child for a certain behavior that has always been going on. And now we're the scapegoat. And now folks are okay to bring down the hammer because it's one of us. So again, I think it's a lot of stuff that needs to be unpacked. And then lastly, I'll say about this, I just want to be clear. I'm not saying who's wrong, who's right. But violence is not the answer, number one. I don't think you should be violent in that regard. Now, I do believe that self-defense is appropriate. So honestly, the person who I think was the real MVP in this whole situation was Chris Rock for keeping it professional and just yes. not doing anything. Because in my opinion, although it wouldn't have been good for the culture or anything, if he were to hit back, I'd understand that because that's self-defense or defense in general. Um, but yeah, it's important for us to know our triggers. It's important for us to know what makes us tick. It's important for us to have coping mechanisms. And when you have the weight of the world on your shoulders like a Will Smith, it's important for you to get therapy and deal with those things. And there's a lot going on. Clearly. So I'll leave it at that. A lot of things I just threw in the center, a lot more to unpack, but I just wanted to get those things out there. 
Absolutely. And very important because like you, my first thought was, oh boy, you just gave Karen life. That That's the first thing I thought. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. now she's going to feel vindicated. Uh, you know, confirmation bias up the wazoo. And respectfully, I feel like everyone in the culture and outside of the culture realized that both Will Smith and Chris Rock ain't like that. Like, like, what are y'all doing? Like, come on now. In addition to being professional, so absolutely, hand, you know, got to give it up to Chris Rock for being, for staying in character, right? Even incorporated as part of his, his routine. So I was very like, is the, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a skeptic person. So I was like, surely this is staged because he, you know, it, it kind of looked like he pulled it like wrestlers do, like how the rock was, who was in the audience. <laughs> right. And, and you could tell by his face that, Oh, this actually might've been a real slap. And then the fact that he walked away and, and smiled and you, you kind of hear the, that, uh, the stereotypical uh, movie sound effect for a slap. So I was like, Oh, okay. That's, that's his part of the bit. Ha ha ha. Next, next one. But then he, you know, went on to say, you know, oh, wow, he really did smack, you know, sm- mm-hmm. smack, the, smack the brother. Wow. Right. I, I'm, I'm surprised. Really, Willard? <laughs> you know, things like that. But I felt like, of course, people have feelings and emotions. But I feel like for those people who are the celebrities, the especially the A-list celebrities in the black community, and of course, you have that weight of that world of the world on your shoulders, especially from both sides for all the reasons that you said. But the the fact is, y'all are world class entertainers. You understand the concept of hecklers, and you know how to tune it out. So that's why I'm like, how how did how did these two masters of not only speaking the king's English but also code switching, like how how do you not have the the uh the balance the emotional balance are resolved or the intelligence and they do because they've all they've been in situations like that before so i was just very curious as to why it happened this time yeah and i mean at the end of the day they're both human at the end of the day and i think that if i was in that situation i would like to think i wouldn't purport myself in that way in that manner in terms of casually strolling on stage and pulling a dave Chappelle playing prince what did the five fingers say to the face right <laughs> I don't think that would be me. Again, that's me from an outside perspective saying that if I were there, I would not do that. I don't know. Um, I would like to think that if I got slapped in my face, I would have enough poise and professionalism to not do anything about it, physically at least. Um, I might have got off a couple of jokes. Knowing knowing, knowing me, I might have gotten off a couple of jokes because, I, I mean, it might have something might have triggered me. But right. I... It's a, it's a human thing. And I think there's a lot of times, from what I understand, you see it in the NBA all the time, right? Folks who don't want to do interviews because you keep asking me things that have nothing to do with the game. Mm. And at the same time, when I try to speak about things that have nothing to do with the game, if it has to do with something that you don't want to talk about, then you don't want me to talk about it. So it's like, okay. You want to ask me all these questions that I don't want to address. When I try to address things that are not about the game, you tell me to shut up and dribble. So let's talk about dribbling then. Let's just talk about dribbling. Let's just keep Mm. it there. Let's not focus on other stuff. If I can't talk about my political piece, don't ask me about the other pieces that have nothing to do with basketball because it has nothing to do with basketball, right? So you think about these folks who constantly have their lives on display where 
they don't really have much private moments or they have to fight for private moments. I think about, you know, social media, you know, imagine if Michael Jordan was playing basketball during the time of social media. He probably sell much more sneakers, even more than now, but still, would he ever have had a moment to be a regular human where you don't have too much people always watch you 24 seven. So I think about these celebrities who have a lot given to them and to whom much is given much is required. Mm-hmm. Um, but your humanity does not fall out of place. It should remain intact. So I think that was a human response that we saw. It should have been a little bit more measured, knowing who he is, knowing the night that it was, knowing all the implications. There's just so many red flags here that would tell you, warning, 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 do not do what you're about to do. Um, but for whatever reason, I think it must have been a bunch of things leading up to that moment. I'm sure there was some history. You know, think about 2016 Oscars. You think about a number of different things. He's probably dealing with a lot of different stuff. You know, we talk about all the entanglement stuff, blah, blah. But there were ways, if you want to, quote, unquote, defend your wife, your wife's, um, you know, honor or whatever you want. To, there are other ways to go about doing that. And there are plenty of ways to go about doing that without putting your hands on somebody. You could have verbally, rhetorically slapped him. You could have said some stuff in your speech. Um, I understand they're supposed to be unpacking this whole moment on the red table talk. Okay. You didn't have to slap him to unpack this on the red table talk. You could have unpacked the joke on red table, talked about alopecia, made a charitable donation to an organization. You could you could have leveraged this in some other way. Um, so I think that you know it's easy to play Monday morning quarterback. It's easy for us to say we should have, could have, would have. Um, it's easy to say what we would have done and what we would not have done. But I think at the end of the day, trying to keep both of their humanity at the core and center and think about what does that mean moving forward um for both of them and i guess everyone else loves it because if 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 journalists didn't have a story to write the next day they had one if podcasters didn't have a topic to talk about they had one and this was something that was across all news platforms something that was across all genres all mediums everything so talk about talk about the world coming together in terms of unity why did it have to take this we see that we can get on one accord on one page right but why did it have to be this moment so you know there's a lot of things to talk about Absolutely. And that was that was the second thing I noticed. And I and I text that to 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 y'all because I was like, hey, this is going to be this is going to dominate headlines now. No more, you know, war with uh, Russia and Ukraine. None, none of that. This is this is like for, this is this is the new cycle for like the, the next cycle, a couple weeks. Right. Yeah. And it's going to continue. Absolutely. And then I just had to ask you someone who admires, you know, great humor and and whatnot and is humorous themselves i felt like if you understand comedy that joke wasn't that bad so so here's the thing especially for that for that response you know yeah i appreciate that question i think um how do i put this i think between chris rock and will smith only one of their actions was protected by law Chris Rock, we have the First Amendment, freedom of speech, freedom of speech. Now, we can argue whether or not your speech is hateful. We can argue whether or not your speech is harmful. We can talk about what it is. But in that moment, freedom of speech, if you believe in the Constitution, even as a a living, breathing document that has flaws in how some people try to frame it, et cetera, freedom of speech, freedom of speech. Now, I don't think you have the right to assault someone in terms of battery, right? 
So I think what we're seeing, and it just happened to happen on this large of a stage with these two icons who just happen to be black and black men, right? We're getting to a place, another comedian, Dave Chappelle, who often tries to talk about um, political correctness, right? What's politically correct. And I also worry about a couple of things. Cornel West talks about this all the time. He talked about the moral decay of America or the moral decay in society, period, across all countries, all nationalities, creeds, et cetera. I think we're also becoming very fragile. I think we're also becoming very fragile to the point where we don't know how to be resilient. Um, the grit and tenacity that people write about, they'd be the first ones to run away from and not exhibit. Mm. Um, so, and, and I'm also thinking about how not being able to tell the truth or honest conversation, no matter how harmful it may be or can be, might get in the way of actual growth. So let's just say joke landed. First of all, it wasn't that funny. Like it wasn't that brilliant of a joke. It's fine. Right. But joke landed. Done. If you have issue with that, there are ways to engage in that conversation. There are ways for you to start telling jokes about other stuff too. I mean, it's almost like back in the day when you roasting folks. If someone says something to you, I'm going to roast you next time. I'm going to roast you. I'm not going to put my hands on you. Right. You know, that that's that's a lazy argument. Right. Don't want to put you like that's that's the bully who's like, oh word, you got a right. you got a you got an A on your paper. All right, but you can't beat me though. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. You know, so I just think that when it comes to comedy, when it comes to and we're seeing, and it's not even just comedy, it happens on college campuses too, in terms of what guest speakers are allowed to come and who's not. Um, it happens in terms of curriculum, what's being allowed to to be taught and what's not. What books are being ruled into the curriculum? Which books are being ruled out? So it's a larger issue here, right? It's a large issue. And I think we need to be very careful about the things that we do that set precedent, that allow certain things to be used as leverage moving forward, whether it's about a culture, whether it's about framing a narrative about what can and cannot be said, to whom. There's a lot of things we need to think about because again, if we are to have freedom of speech, we have to deal with what freedom of speech looks like and all the negative that can come with it, um, with, with light and love, of course, but we have to deal with it. And we can't just respond respond in kind, right? It's not like he slapped Jada in the face or slapped you know, Will in the face. You have by every, every right to respond in kind. But it was a joke that wasn't funny to y'all, that was hurtful, that was harmful for a number, number of different people. How do you respond in kind, though? Right. Like that's a, that's a, again, if you felt that way about it, I would, you know, talk to them backstage, you know, you guys are, you know, act, you know, you're actors, you're celebrities, so you can handle things off camera. Y'all, y'all understand that, that mindset of things, certain things should be handled off camera. Right. And then maybe you would have got a story like, oh, you know, Denzel and Tyler Perry had to come, you know, get uh Will Smith from you know getting out of chris rock's face type of thing like yeah you can't you're not gonna be you're not gonna be doing that right type of thing and then that would have been like oh type of thing but obviously this one was way way over the top this it to me it was just so odd so mm -hmm. it as you alluded to it was the perfect media storm <laughs> it was the the perfect uh 
confirmation bias for the Karens of the world. And then it, it made, instead of Will Smith winning an Oscar, right. And becoming another black actor in Hollywood to, to African-American to win an Oscar, instead of it being that, it it was about this, which is very unfortunate. And not only that too, to, to win an Oscar for playing a historically, in comparison, respectable role. Mm-hmm. It's not like Den, Den, Denzel, Denzel Washington, as right. he says his name is Denzel, not Denzel, um, or um, Holly Berry, right? But but for being King Richard, something that's a little bit more respectable in terms of what role you played and what it meant. Um, so, you know, the, the real victims of all this in a lot of ways, outside of Jada, of course, was, uh, you know, you think about um, the, the Williams family, just in general. So those are some of the things to think about as well. And it's just unfortunate. But again, I think as a Christian in particular, I'm all about redemption. Um, I believe that folks should atone and then have redemption. Um, you can redeem yourself if you do apologize and seek forgiveness, etc. So I do believe in redemption. I'm not about the cancel culture. I think some things need to be challenged, left alone, etc. But if someone works towards redemption, someone works towards atonement, someone works towards forgiveness, then I think we should we should make make possibilities for that. Absolutely, and you know it kind of it kind of reminds me of our our next topic which is the, you know, the HBCU uh, doing a collaboration with Ralph Lauren and having their own line. Let me get the the uh, clothing line. And I'm not going to lie, the clothing is awesome. <laughs> it's, it's very stylish, very on point. It's literally, it, it, it's referred to as a time capsule. It looks exactly like that. But is it good for the culture? What do you think, Professor Israel? It's a great question. And I think... You know, it's it's one of those it's one of those questions. It's one of those questions that it's easy to say yes, no, um, both. I, again, I would approach it from both both and thinking, both and thinking. I would say a couple of things. One, if I'm not mistaken, um, Ralph Lauren has been a brand for a long time, <laughs> a long time, long time. And to my knowledge, um, this is the first uh, type of uh, collaboration that is doing of its kind, right? Um, and, mm-hmm. and we know we know a lot of folks in the culture have made Polo famous, Ralph Lauren famous, Kanye West, and other folk. You know, people always got the big folks don't even know what Polo is. If you want to be quite frank, some folks don't even know what Polo is. They don't. They don't, they don't know what equestrian is. But they rock in mm. the shirt like what's good. Um, additionally, additionally, because if you think about it, um, Ralph Lauren's about making money. <laughs> Ralph Lauren's about making money. I don't think they were moved in the culture. It's about making money, so it's profitable. And I, I said this at work. We we're having a conversation about a number of things. I was like, I think the world is waking up to realize that being ignorant is no longer profitable. Like the world is is too small in a pluralistic society. You're gonna have to either work with us, um, or maybe one day if we get our stuff together, 
work for us. I mean, there's there, there's this there's this part where it's like folks need to figure out what we're going to do with each other as we move forward. Um, and I think what's important to note here is that there's a difference between black owned and black targeted. Right. This is not black owned. This is black targeted. And we can raise all the questions as to why is it targeted with certain specific HBCUs. Yes, we know the people who were actually a part of this were graduates of the HBCU. But if you think about what that means in a culture, thinking about a Morehouse, thinking about a Spelman, those have always been lifted up as the more elite. Um, in some cases, might have a little bit more respectability politics associated with it, our kind of people type of thing. And I'm not trying to shame or talk down about it because Morehouse is my dream college. I got in, I didn't go because the financial aid wasn't hitting right. But I wanted to go to Morehouse. I wanted to be a Morehouse man. So let's not get that twisted. Um, so much so that I went back and made a visit when I was working in admissions at Swarthmore College. Um, I went with uh, with Amanda and some other folks, and we went and we toured Clark Atlanta, we toured Spelman, and we toured Morehouse. Morehouse was was beautiful, and I was like, "Listen, if I went there, I don't know where I'd be right now, but I'm sure I would have had a great college experience." Um, so that being said, I think there are opportunities for folks to keep that same energy. By folks to keep that same energy, I mean. Ralph Lauren as an organization. I understand they gave some scholarships, but it's like a, a drop in the bucket for them. I think it was like $2 million or something like that um, in terms of scholarships uh, amongst the two different schools. If I'm not mistaken, they, they are a, a multi-billion dollar industry or a multi-billion dollar company. So that's a drop in the bucket. That's a drop in the bucket. Um, so is that a return on investment for the culture? Because the culture is often buying Ralph Lauren, right? Often buying Ralph Lauren. Um, so I would say, few things. Again, there's a difference between Black-owned and Black-targeted. This is Black-targeted, not Black-owned. There were some Black folks who were a part of making this happen, bringing it to fruition. Kudos. And I hope, I hope you have found some way to get some type of equity, or I hope you have found some way to get some type of, use this as leverage to better you and then by extension, better your community. I hope you use this as a play. Because if you're going to make them more money and use it as something that's going to signal the culture to come and get involved as a customer or consumer of Ralph Lauren, I hope you're using this for something that's longer than just this moment. Um, already talked about respectability politics, uh, politics, elitism, our kind of people. Some folks were knocking it for being reminiscent of the Jim Crow era style. True. Right? As opposed to how are we dressing today? In some cases, like that. In some cases. But uh, I work in education. Folks not pulling up like that. Right. So, I mean, I would like to see some other collaborations if possible. And then for us as a, as a culture, it's important for us to know our knowledge. I mean, to, to know institutional memory. So there was a clothing line by Andre 3000, Benjamin Bixby. Mm. Benjamin Bixby by Andre 3000. Clothes look very, 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 very similar. Right. Benjamin Bixby. And y'all know Andre 3000. Y'all know how he was rocking the blazers and the polos, like, like the, the, the polo shirts that we would call them. It's funny how every shirt you put on that has like a little collar, even if it doesn't have a horse on it, we call it like polo shirt. Oh, I'm, I'm throwing on a polo today. Exactly. It's, it's a style it's, now, right? It's, it's crazy. So, and then the last part is, let's keep that same energy when it comes to Black-owned brands. Right. Exactly. So there are a lot of Black-owned brands out there. Folks might not want to do the research. It's easy nowadays. All you got to do is Google it. Um, and support. There are Black-owned clothing lines. Shoe companies, uh, wine, 
liquor, whatever. Keep that same energy when it comes to those that are actually black owned as opposed to just black targeted. So those are the things that came to mind. It's a it's a yes and thing. Should we celebrate it and applaud it? Eh, it's cool. But is it something that's really going to move the culture forward? No, no. I want to see y'all put more money where your mouth is, though. I want to see more money go towards these HBCUs and not just Spellman, not just Morehouse. Throw in some other ones that folks usually don't really want to talk about. Some other ones that might actually need the money because they don't have as many um, alums with deep pockets. So just keeping those things in mind. Absolutely. So I guess we'll see if they're going to have a, you know, like a, a Ralph Lauren program at, uh, at any of these HBCUs, especially if they have a, a fashion or, you know, fine arts department. We'll, we'll see there and we'll see if any of their because the Ralph Lauren Foundation is the uh, the official sponsor of this uh, this ordeal. Right. This uh, <laughs> this transaction, if you will. So we'll see if they are venture capitalists for future uh, black entrepreneurs in, in the fashion industry. Cause I, I feel like to have a mentor like Ralph Lauren and kind of do it like the, you know, the Dame Dash and Jay Z way. And, you know, that, you know, Ralph Lauren can be your, you know, death jam in that situation mm -hmm. or Rockefeller. I think, I think that'll be outstanding. I agree. And I think even more so along those lines, if they created incubators where they set up folks who are fashion designers and gave right. them funding to be their, their own designers and actually, because for example, Uncle Nearest, right? Uncle right. Nearest, um, Tennessee Whiskey. Uh, they have partnered with Jack Daniels as well as I think maybe another organization, maybe Brown Foreman, the 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 the, the parent company or the, the company of like brands such as Jack Daniels, Whitford Reserve, Old Forester, et cetera. And they're, they're creating incubators that's going to, um, in a fund, that they can pour into um, Black-owned spirit brands to help nice. diversify That's the awesome. spirit industry, right? So I want to see something like that for Ralph Lauren. How can you create um, legacy, lineage, opportunities for folks to do their own and build their own as opposed to build for you, right? right. How do you extend that? So that's, that's what I want to know. I want to see that. Um, I think that's an opportunity that folks should really push for because if you have this, great. But I want to see what else you're going to do with it and move and be a little bit more uh, more bold and more audacious. The other piece is, and this is a gift and a curse, it's unfortunate reality of the world that we're living in right now. In a post-George Floyd society, I'm going to be very skeptical of plays like this, period. Right. Because just to me, again, unless you have a history of doing X, Y, and Z, and I can't say they do or don't because I haven't vetted it. Unless you have a history of having employees, making sure you're treating them equitably, all these other things. It's going to look like a money grab to me, a money grab from the culture. Um, so you have to prove to me, at least, more than the eye test of, look what we're doing. I want to know what other systems you have in place to help generate generational wealth for these folks that you're putting out there on posters and displays. Yeah, that's that's definitely going to be necessary. And I think there has been a, a trend of, let's say, uh, wealthy people who come towards the end of their lives and you know, have a have a have a shift in mentality and things like this can happen as well. So typically when it happens, they uh they tend to give abundantly. So it's it's kinda, you know, it's kinda on us as well to make the most of the the opportunity and not really depend on anyone, just use it as a, a stepping stone. You use it as leverage and not be as dependent on it, right? 
Absolutely. And I think the same way folks of other cultures have used the Will Smith, Chris Rock slap incident as a moment of entry, a point of entry, as a point of leverage for whatever their agenda might be. We need to make sure that whenever these moments happen, we continue to push, 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 push. Um, reminds me of the scene from Malcolm X when Malcolm X went to the, the hospital. He went to the uh, the prison to make sure Brother Johnson was good. And Brother Johnson was in bad shape. He was like, yo, he needs to get to the hospital. And then there's like, okay, he's in the ambulance. He's going to the hospital. He's going to the hospital. You done? Malcolm X is like, I'm not satisfied. And they were all marched down to the hospital to make sure he was getting the treatment that they said he was going to get. So in this moment, I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied. I think it's a great it's a great starting point, but it needs to be much more. And how would you feel if part of this was a a new line under the Ralph Lauren brand, and then essentially would be you know making him more more money? That's the whole thing. For me, at the end of the day, I'm about ownership. And it's not always about ownership because, again, owning 100% of nothing is worse than owning 10% of something. So it's about ownership and it's about equity. Equity is, you know, a little different from equality. So when folks talk about equity, you might have 10% of of a billion dollar corporation Versus 10% of a, I mean, versus a, uh, what you call it? A hundred percent of a hundred dollar corporation. It's like, okay, do you want to own that one that's worth a hundred dollars? Or do you want 10% of equity? Would you be training equity as opposed to thinking about equality? And ownership is not always about just having control and power. Sometimes it's about being able to have enough money in equity for you to then take that money, leverage it in other pockets or other spaces where you can probably eventually own your own thing. So in terms of having ownership underneath Ralph Lauren, eh, eh, I think there's way too many talented folks out there who are already doing their own thing that we as a community could take our dollars that we would spend on Ralph Lauren once we train our minds to understand that, guess what? It's just as good as not better. It's just as good if not better in terms of clothing quality that we can actually get to. So for example, you know, maybe I'm biased because I'm a Harlem dude, but Dame Dash always looked fly. He designed his own clothes. Period. That's his clothing. So he was like, you know, I always want to be the flyest person. I want to make sure that whatever I'm wearing, no one else got on. So I make my own clothes. And he realized that it's actually cheaper for him to make his own clothes and actually purchase clothes. Different mentality, different mindset. That makes sense. But it takes time. It takes sweat equity. So, I mean, I'm all about getting yours where you can. I'm all about diversifying the pipeline, but I'm also ultimately about ownership. And it's like, there are plenty brands out there that are black owned that don't get enough. For example, if we have an idea, we should be able to holler at Sheed real quick. Team Savage Apparel, let them know what's popping. And maybe we can brainstorm together with our collective talents and you know connections to maybe put on a fashion show at an HBCU, which can then probably find the next person who was going to work at Ralph Lauren, go help Sheed grow his business. Right. Shout out to Team Savage Apparel. Word. Make sure you follow him if you're not following him right now. Make sure you're going support because again, that's how we build. That's how we do institutional building. That's how we do generational wealth building. Um, so how can we make sure that we are starting to be intentional about where we spend our dollars, um, who we support, and the return on our our investment? 
Absolutely. And another brand, Black owned, that is uh, growing like wildfire is the Telfair. Telfair. Mm -hmm. So a lot of different ways we can support each other. And again, as Brother Sangu Delhi broke down, if we have worldwide around four billion, excuse me, four trillion in, in, uh, in terms of economic firepower as uh as black people we need to spend that on each other that's that's a lot of money that could i mean just in america there's only what 45 million around that 45 50 million so if we if we if we create a economic community that can do a, a lot for a lot of people and that's the piece right there so the same way that we were able to send memes of the slap around the same way we would connect with each other, you've seen all this stuff that you see is, is, is like trans, transversing the globe. We can do the mm -hmm. same thing with knowledge and information. Additionally, um, it's a framing issue. A lot of times we might have been taught that we're a minority. We're the minority. No, reframe that. Reframe that. As uh, Francis Cress Wells and the other folks talk about um, being the global majority. We are the global majority. So if we keep that in mind as opposed to thinking that we're the minority. We can really tap into some things and really talk about that endowment mindset that Sangu Delhi was talking about and um, actually build. Absolutely. And I just wanted to give your get your take on this uh, this news we had today of the Black Lives Matters Foundation reportedly used the donations to buy a six million dollar California mansion. Yeah, so there's a couple of things. One. I haven't been following the story as closely. I saw a pop up. I knew that there was going to be an investigation going into it. But again, this is an example of how folks, I don't know if their intentions were good to begin with. Could have been. Could have been. But then when some folks see money, they start to misappropriate funds. And this is something that's been done forever. It's not even just in this community. I'm talking about, you know, my wife's from family's from Haiti. And you think about the relief efforts that happened after the earthquake. Haiti ain't see that money. It goes to the Red Cross, right? Mm -hmm. To build houses, to help recreate infrastructure, to help relieve the people, help the people. No. All this stuff is political. Right. And I'm sure there might be some more to the story because there's no way. There's no way that these folks are able to be in this space that they're in without any type of backroom deals and things that are going on. I mean, I'm sure there's more to the story in terms of misappropriating funds because, you know, some folks get corrupted. Um, some folks might start off with good intentions and then all, all of a sudden, you know, the dark, the dark or the shadow, the shadow of their humanity starts to creep in, right? Um, and these things happen. This also is unfortunate because there are going to be a lot of people who never believe that Black Lives Matter who are like, okay, see, I donated because I was actually coming along or I was actually thinking about, you know, how can we have systemic change, et cetera, but look what happened. So it's unfortunate. It's really unfortunate. And I think, you know, I have to go read more about this. I have to go read more about this. But I don't know what that mansion is for. Now, if that mansion was to, to house the people, the in-housed, to, to build a nonprofit or whatever. I mean, I don't know what the mm. man is going to be used for. Exactly. Because trying to get people the benefit of the doubt because I haven't read the story. All I know is that it's not a good look. 
is definitely not a good look, especially in terms of the headlines. So like you said, uh, all I know as of right now, factually, is, is the headlines. Now, we know organizations like uh, the Boys and Girls Club, when they have their fundraisers, typically they, you know, for for like the high end events, they'll they'll rent a, a penthouse in Manhattan that's like worth twenty million dollars, and mm-hmm. have a have a fundraiser there. So I, there might be a a method to the madness, perhaps. But in this uh in this in this world, who's becoming more and more uh, researched and aware of things and not able to have the wool pulled over their eyes, you. That's 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 something that you should have a control over how you have that information released. You don't want it released that way, especially with that organization. So that that definitely doesn't look good. Yeah, yeah. And I and and I think this is the moment again, everything connects. Nothing happens in a vacuum, everything is connected. So you have these situations where again the slap is going to be used and leveraged as see, we can't give them nothing. See, they shouldn't be invited to the party. Same thing with headlines such as that. See, we can't help them with anything. See, all they're going to do is blow money on frivolous stuff, right? Think about all those things. That's just something that's going to continue to happen because, again, um, nothing happens in the vacuum. So when these, these things happen, it's important for us to really think about, okay, if I believe that Black Lives Matter, right? If I believe that Black Lives Matter, okay, how can I make sure that I'm supporting this movement. So it reminds me of what a pastor said at church. A pastor was like, yeah, so God requires that you give 10%. For tithing, you give 10%. He said, it's not his belief that you have to give all of your 10% to the church. He said, perhaps part of that 10% is going to your cousin who you know needs it. It's going to the elderly woman who you know needs it. It's going to a scholarship fund that you're funding that you know needs it, who might need it more than the church. So when we're thinking about things such as the Black Lives Matter movement, and you're thinking about organizations such as the Black Lives Matter, maybe that's not the best place to send your money for a number of different reasons. Maybe if you believe that Black Lives Matter, you're going to pour money into education in certain spaces. You're going to pour money into healthy eating. You're going to pour money into physical fitness. You're going to pour money into mental therapy. You're going to pour money into news media so you can actually control your narrative. So you can help support organizations that are trying to do Black-owned media as opposed to Black-targeted media. So how do you really use your dollar and leverage it to make sure that you are really ascribing to make sure that Black lives do matter? And it doesn't have to go to an organization that says Black Lives Matter. Big facts. And our next topic is the Honorable Brown Jackson, which uh, is it me or is it taking longer than I thought it would? <laughs> Listen, like it, it, it reminds me of when Obama was getting elected and he was the president elect for like ever. I was like, really? We're, you're really, you're really wearing it out. That's the game. That's the game, right? And the the thing is this. So I was having a conversation with some folks at work because we're, we're reading this book. We're exploring this book. We're talking about DEI, et cetera. And I said, we're over here talking about how... so. Make a long story short, there's a lot, of, a lot of themes that pop up in the book. And one of the themes that pops up in the book is how some folks sacrifice belonging. Belonging meaning feeling a genuine sense of being seen, heard, respected. Some folks sacrifice 
belonging for the sake of gaining access. So some folks sacrifice belonging for the sake of gaining access. Some folks, and this is where I've had some issues growing up into different schools, going to the predominantly white boarding school, being in predominantly white spaces. Some folks choose belonging over access. So it's like, mm -hmm. I'd rather be my whole self, fully human, not assimilate, be who I am and hope to be accepted. If I'm not accepted, that's cool. At least I have myself. You could keep your access. I say all this to say, they say, go to the best schools. She did, right? The best schools as they define it, as hegemonic culture defines it, right? Ivy League institutions and sister schools and all those things, right? Go to the best schools. She did. Land good jobs. She did. Have varied experience across different constituencies, stakeholders, spaces, places, etc. She did. Speak a certain way. She did. Dress a certain way. She did. She does. She's doing that. All these pieces. Of course, no one is above reproach, right? Um, no one's perfect. We all have flaws. However, all the things that are supposed to be the blueprint for gaining access, even when you might be sacrificing some belonging, it seems like it just doesn't matter because she's a black woman. So here we are. I'm listening to some of the confirmation hearings and I was watching it and I'm like, I'm not even a black woman, but I have a visceral reaction in my spirit. I'm like, yo, and let me tie this back together to the slap. Katanji Brown Jackson had to sit there and have her character questioned, in some cases almost assassinated, in some cases being talked down to, talked at, belittled, etc. Mm. By as uh, Ijoma Oluo would refer to them as mediocre, the dangerous legacy of white male America. Right, a bunch of mediocre folks in certain spaces talking down to this person who has proven themselves, and yet she ain't get up and slap nobody. <laughs> right. So I'm just saying, you know, again, the unfortunate reality of what this black woman has to go through, and to keep it a hundred, to keep it a buck, some folks might see her as less threatening. Because if we want to get into you know politics and identity politics, yeah, she's a dark-skinned black woman. We understand that plays a role, but she's also married to a white man, right? So when we talk about these respectability politics or these identity politics or things that people use as a litmus test to say whether or not you belong or can gain access, we see that she's credentialed out the wazoo, right? And is being questioned, 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 or people are using this as a point of entry for their point of view, again. Um, and it's unfortunate. All I know is that, again, not a single one of those justices that sits on the bench currently is a perfect human being. Not a single one of those justices who sits on the bench currently, you could say, hands down, deserves it, because there's always criteria we could say, ah, you know, it is what it is. But she's credentialed out the wazoo. And she has earned this space. So we'll see what happens. 
Absolutely. And then I'll thank you for sharing this, by the way. Like, I had no idea it was this uh, apparent. Like, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, uh, if you're, uh, if you're a well-known person, right, in the community and a police officer pulls you over, like, you, you, you know, you know everything you need to know because you know who I am type of thing. And I'm not trying to say that's that's okay in terms of that, but th that's the reality. And in this aspect, you need to have, you know, all these credentials nowadays, all these prerequisites to even apply. So the fact that she has all the prerequisites and it uh, for in terms of experience, it literally outranks everyone who's a sitting justice right now not not to take anything away from their you know prestigious careers so if she's coming in at that level i mean what's what do like what's the point of, of questioning not and not in, in that utilitarian way but i'm talking like in terms of the credentials like we have to go through all this red tape just to make sure but you you already know the answer exactly so again it's who's in power and that's why it's important when they try to say, okay, when you have Senate races, right? You have the Senate Judiciary Committee. When you have Senate races, it's important, right? Um, and again, it's about who's in power, who can control the narrative, who has the opportunity to, to speak, who has the opportunity to press people. And also the person, Katanji Brown-Jackson, being able to either respond appropriately or deflect, defend, all the things you need. Mental gymnastics, right? Because yes. this question is coming up that have nothing to do with the law. Nothing to do with the law, right? And I don't know if folks saw, but, you know, Senator Ted Cruz was like, you sit on the board of German, uh, Georgetown Day School, and that's a school that teaches CRT, and this book right here, Anti-Racist Baby, blah, 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 blah. That book skyrocketed even more so. So Ibram X. Kendi laughing to the bank. So again, questions come up where people use this as a point of entry for their own point of view to push their own agenda. And sometimes it has nothing to do with the confirmation hearing, but it has everything to do with their own politics and their play for something next. Whether it's re-election, whether it's trying to shape or frame the narrative for the next election, all these things are it's, it's a it's a political soap opera. Absolutely, and strategic. Like you know, they're really trying to make a, a mound into a molehill, like a mountain, a molehill, a mound into a molehill type of thing. So I was just like, this is I was just very, uh, it's it's very tedious. I'm not gonna lie. And you know, in terms of covering it, it's like why why does it have to go to every single single step? Mm -hmm. When previous justices, of, you know, they, they didn't have to be raked over the coals publicly in this manner, right? So, but as you said, there's so many uh, political agendas in this arena, specifically with her. So they, they have to do their uh, due, due diligence in terms of uh, controlling the narrative. Mm -hmm. Again, like I said, we're always used as an example. We're always made the precedent. Absolutely. And then did you want to go over this, the, the video you sent? Yeah. 
Let's do that. Okay. Let's do that. Which one are you talking about? The um the racially stressful situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's so um folks might be familiar with Dr. Howard Stevenson out of University of Pennsylvania. Um, folks might be more familiar with or as familiar. First of all, they come from a powerful dope family. Their sister's a lawyer, their brother, um, folks might know as Brian Stevenson, um, Equal Justice Initiative. Um, just a powerful like Michael B. Jordan played him. Um and just mercy. Um, so folks might know about that. So that's that's the family. Uh, but Dr. Howard Stevens, and the reason why I share this video, because again, it, the work that I do, um, a lot of times we talk about racial harm, racial stress. And Dr. Howard Stevenson talks about the importance of having racial literacy. And I think this is this video, this clip is important because some folks after the slap might have been feeling some type of racial stress. Mm. And I think it's something that allows us to engage that through a new lens as well as give us some racial literacy for when things arise in our lives that give us racial stress where racial harm has been done or something has happened and we don't know what to do with it. So <clears throat> that's why I shared that. Okay, word. Thank you. A racial literacy involves the ability to read, recast, and resolve a racially stressful encounter. Reading involves recognizing when a racial moment happens and noticing our stress reactions to it. Recasting involves taking mindfulness and reducing my tsunami interpretation of this moment and reducing it to a mountain climbing experience, one that is from an impossible situation to one that is much more doable and challenging. Resolving a racially stressful encounter involves being able to make a healthy decision that is not an underreaction where I pretend that didn't bother me or an overreaction where I exaggerate the moment. Now we can teach parents and children how to read, recast, and resolve using a mindfulness strategy we call calculate, locate, communicate, breathe, and exhale. Stay with me. Calculate asks, what feeling am I having right now and how intense is it on a scale of one to 10? Locate asks, where in my body do I feel it? And be specific. Like the Native American girl at a Chicago fifth grade school said to me, I feel like angry at a nine because I'm the only Native American. And I can feel it in my stomach, like a bunch of butterflies are fighting with, with each other, so much so that they fly up into my throat and choke me. The more detailed you can be, the easier it is to reduce that spot. Communicate asks, what's self-talk and what images are coming in my mind? And if you really want help, try breathing in and exhaling slowly. Yeah, that's very powerful stuff and helpful and, and useful. I mean, things like that, that's perfect for people who, you know, experience that culture shock when they go to places like Petty for the first time. I think that's a, that's a wonderful <clears throat> resource. Yes, sir. And I'm thinking about it like if I was to do it with the with the if I was to do it with the slap first, right? It was a seven. And I felt it like kind of kind of in my body, like, yo, why am I like a little restless right now? Why can't I go to sleep? You know, try to you know, like breathe, exhale, try to figure that out. But then you wake up the next morning after talking to some folks, like, yo, I'm kind of like at a 10. And it kind of hits me in my heart and in my soul because I'm like, yo, what is, there's nothing positive about that moment. In any way, shape, or form, no matter how you slice it. Now, positivity can't come from it. 
But in that moment, that's how it felt. Watching the confirmation hearings, I'm like, I'm on an 11 because this is <laughs> wild. This is wild crazy. And, you know, I just I just feel it in my soul because I'm like, oh, this is ridiculous. Some of the things I was just, just the way they were asking questions, because I've had people ask me questions like that before, or the manner in which they were asking the question, where it's like, they're sitting across from you, but they're looking down. So, it's like, really? That's what we're doing today? So I think it's important for us to, to, to be mindful, to understand that these things will happen, will happen will continue to happen. How do we deal with them? How do we deal with them to the point where we can maintain our sense of self, our dignity, our peace, and not underreact nor overreact? So just keeping those things in mind. Absolutely. And hopefully, you know, there's a there's a moment where both Will and Chris and Jada can, uh, you know, all sit down and have a have a talk maybe not at the red table or maybe and, uh, at the red table maybe at the red table maybe, they do one maybe. at the red table and then they do one at chris rocks choice of venue or whatever right but as uh mrs Yizzy said this don't wait until august <laughs> <laughs> yo listen i told you i would have been firing off jokes exactly so, i mean why not I, I mean i'd like to think that you know, but if I was a comedian, I'd probably hit a couple of jokes. I probably would be. I probably would be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I hope that there is a a time for them to come together. And again, it's not, it's not even just for the culture. I'm, I'm not forget that. Just for them as two men of influence, um, two human beings um, that hurt and harm, um, and also give life and joy. And all those things, right? Uh, multiple truths can exist at the same time. So just realizing that, you know, it's incumbent upon y'all to make this right. However, the, however that is, whatever that looks like. So, absolutely, especially two black men in that space of Hollywood. I mean, that's like being, you know, getting in beef with someone like Denzel. Like, no, don't. Why would you do that? Yeah, I mean, because again, it's, it's it's not it's not the best modeling either. Like, I can't. We're all on the same team, you know. What I mean? <laughs> right, and it's, it's like it's not the best moment. I, I can't. That next day, I can't. I can't go to work and someone says something foul. I just pop. Like, doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. However, unfortunately, that might apply for some people. You'll and be that's like, the you thing. You know what? Hey, if Will Smith can do it at the Oscars, I could definitely do it right now. Exactly. And again, setting precedent because. What happened, regardless of whether or not Chris Rock was like, yeah, I'm not pressing charges, et cetera, all those things. At the end of the day, he stayed in that room, was not hauled off to jail. And it's like, okay, he wasn't arrested. Nothing happened. He he was able to remain in that space. So that happened. That was a precedent that was set. So, yeah. And then the, the other aspect I want to get your take on is that I think this this Oscars was produced by someone who was black. Well, Packer, then, frat brother, what's good? What's good? What's good? And and then this happened. So again, given given the Karen's life again, oh, can't can't let them get it again, right? And th- and then it's kind of like oh. And then the the writers of the show 
some of them, or if not all, were in a, there were no uh, minorities there, allegedly. That's, that's what's going around on, on social media. Hmm. Again, wrong time, wrong place. Period. Wrong time, wrong place. I understand, bro. I get it. Wrong time, wrong place. Now, if I'm Chris Rock, I'm throwing memes. Like, I'm throwing memes of, you know, Jazz, Jazzy Jeff getting thrown out the house. I would have, like, you know, <laughs> put some memes of my man with his face getting thrown out the Oscars or something like that. I mean, it's coming, but it's like wrong time, wrong place, wrong response. And folks might be like, nah, nah, that was the right response. Eh? Okay, sure. Still wrong time, wrong place. Claude says, mm, I expected to have a talk with someone after they slapped them. Chris was already the bigger person once. Sheesh. It's messed up all the way around. You know, it's, it's funny that you you mentioned that, which is which is an important point. So, in school, there's always people who talk about disciplinary situations and what happens when someone someone does harm in the community. And if anyone's familiar with restorative justice practices, restorative justice practices is where there needs to be you acknowledge that harm was done. The person who did the harm and the person who received the harm are supposed to come together to repair community. Now I have I have my own thoughts and opinions about that, but my main thing is the restorative justice model needs to be founded on something that does not uphold systemic racism, oppression, white supremacy, etc. Um meaning as Audre Lorde would say, the master's tools cannot dismantle the master's house. So if there is to be any type of reconciliation, I'm not even saying it has to be done in public. Maybe it's done behind closed doors. They have a conversation, there's closure, and then they can say, we already met, we talked, we had a conversation, we're good. It doesn't have to be on full display. Because what happened was, full display, I think if anything, the same way that Will slapped them in public, there should be an apology in public. And yes, he apologized in words. I would love that if he has a video, he, he'd apologize a little bit more so because the slap was called on video. So, you know, if you're going to apologize, you know, put some words in your face out there and do it at the red table, whatever. But um, I think it's important when we talk about reconciliation, what does that look like? And on what terms? I think those are great questions to raise. Absolutely. And hopefully that, you know, reconciliation can happen sooner rather than later because at a certain point you all were in the same city and state for like 24 or 48 hours so this it would make sense to make that happen and if there isn't that reconciliation like if because as of right now you know will smith has said he's sorry to you know the the williams family and the academy for and you know embarrassing them so to speak but i never really heard an apology directly to to chris rock he did. He did release a, an apology directly at the Oscars. He didn't say anything to Chris. I think in that moment, no matter how you feel, you put your hands on somebody. We all saw it. <laughs> like we all saw it. So it's like you can't like throw a rock and hide your hand. We all saw you, fam. So you should say something in that moment. Fake the funk. Say something in that moment. Um, but he did. He did put out um, an apology. He did put out an apology, um, and it was it was a good apology. It was well written. But again. Uh, he's got publicists. He's got folks to read. So again, is it coming from the heart? Who knows? But again, his apology. So I just hope that if they do something for the Red Table Talk, 
I hope it's I hope it's balanced and I hope that it's real and I hope that it, it it's coming from a place of love, no more harm. Um that's what I hope. And Miss Yoko says if Brad Pitt has slapped Chris Rock, some people would have been whining about four hundred years of slavery. What do you what do you think about that, Professor? Uh I don't think we would have been whining about four hundred years of slavery. Um, black folks get slapped every day, whether it's through the criminal justice system, mass incarceration, police brutality, and by smacked every day, of course, I mean more than smacked every day, killed every day. In fact, the anti-lynching bill just got passed. Well, last week, right? Yeah. Well, 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 yeah, it just was like just now after all these years, right? You know, Ida B. Wells was doing work back in the day, but now in 2022, we've arrived at a place. So there would be no whining about 400 years of slavery if that happened. In fact, I don't even think folks would be coming to Chris Rock's defense. I think it's easy for folks to come to Chris Rock's defense because a black person slapped another black person. Right. It's black on black crime. So I don't even think that's something that would be popping off. Um, the other piece I'll say is that Brad Pitt has damaged the black community in some in some ways before too. You know, there's things that people say and things that they get away with. Um, and to be honest, the Oscars have been slapping black folks for a long time. And ironically, uh, Brad Pitt won an Oscar for his role in producing Twelve Years a Slave. The irony. Mm-hmm. And Miss Gloria Miller says the nine. 18 million unborn American black children who have been dissected in the womb since 1973 reflect a reproductive choice and a woman's right to choose. Claude Diz says restorative justice sounds good for the community and application. Sometimes it seems forced and far from genuine, kind of like a mental slap in the face again. Again, I agree. I agree. And that's why I think that it's important for folks to name these things. So even if we think about therapy, if you think about therapy, I can't just have any therapist. I can't. I have to make sure that the therapist knows and appreciates who I am, understands my aesthetic, my livelihood, who I am as a person, how I identify. Um, someone who first views me as a human, as opposed to just some black thing, right? So I think when we talk about things such as restorative justice, and it really goes back to indigenous people, actually, if you take a look back at restorative justice in circles, it goes back to indigenous people and their way of healing community. But again, in order to repair community, you would have to then have been in community to begin with. A lot of times these things happen because folks were never in community, so there's not really a community to repair. So I think there needs to be community building. The community needs to be established first before restorative justice practices can be practiced because it's hard to repair community when there was never one built in the first place. Absolutely. And Jazz is in the building. Shout out to her and Ray. Word. Thank you for stopping by. And close this at response to Yoko. Will Brad Pitt did play a sketchy racist role in Django? True. As the Leonardo DiCaprio. And to break... Whitey's chains, will you publicly burn your EBT cards? I don't have one. And that might be difficult for those who actually do need EBT. because Exactly. That might be literally their uh, 
their only source of income or the the a source of income where they're able to have a have somewhat of a, a normal life. And the other thing is, again, to that point, Josh, it's the what and the why, right? The what is the car. The why would be why do they have it in the first place? For food, absolutely. Here we so, go. And apparently, uh, Amazon does take EBT now and food stamps in New Jersey, specifically not for all states, but yeah. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of systems and policies that need to be revisited. There's a lot of things that need to be done differently to actually bring dignity. Um, as a person who grew up using food stamps, um, the stigma that's attached to it, the shame that might be associated with it, um, and and the narrative that might surround it in terms of people saying, well, guess what? Um you only have that because you refuse to get off your butt and work or whatever the case may be. It's a false narrative or false claim. So again, you know, these things need to be dissected and unpacked and see what exactly is happening. This is the what and the why. And then that leads to the how. Absolutely. So we're going to end the show there. Thank you once again, everyone, for joining the comments from Jazz to Gloria, the Yoko, the Clo. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening and appreciate your time, Professor Israel. You repeat what they created and get power to hate. But worst of all, we disappoint all the great. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Yeah. Black lives matter. Black lives matter.